0: Ready graphics, ready theme, human,
1: blood. Good evening. For your information tonight. Hi, I'm Jesse Mullins. And I'm Lauren Milberger. And this is FYI, the Murphy Brown Podcast. Being on Maisel is that um, they have used the fact that I speak Polish, and I have sworn a lot um, in Polish. You know, I hear I am swearing in Polish, but like no one really knows exactly like what I'm saying. <laughs> Hello. Hi, Jesse. Well, hello.
0: Hi, Lauren. We have uh, a special (laughs) guest today. Indeed. Mystery guest, will you please sign in?
1: Hello. Um, My name is Matilda Shadagas, and I play Zelda on The Marvelous Mrs. Maisel, and I am so happy to be here today. Thank you so much, Lauren and Jesse, for having me. Um, And yes, hi, everybody. Hi. Well, it's our pleasure to have you. Hello. Welcome, welcome, welcome. Murphy,
0: Milberger, Mullins, and Matilda.
1: (laughs) we did it
2: (laughs) we got the alliteration (laughs) now
0: as well as being a a wonderful actor you also are a writer and a director as well my understanding and then you have a children's book that's out
1: yes Um, I wrote an illustrated um, a children's picture book called all cats speak Polish you can learn a handful of basic Polish words um, in a very you know, cute way especially if you are a cat lover if your kids are cat lovers and um, yeah raise your hand yeah, exactly
0: <laughs> yeah right
1: raising my hand right cats here. I don't
0: have one but I do love them
1: um, it's uh, it was something that uh, an idea that I had for many years um, just in the back of my head thinking oh that's that would be like a cool idea to do um, my first language is Polish and um, and then then the pandemic happened and it's just crazy it's like I just call it pandemic creativity it was just one of those things where um, I just started uh, drawing a lot more which is what I used to do I I was drawing you know I've been drawing since some high school but you know um, the life got in the way in terms of like the time commitments that you have for yourself and it was just something um, to do that you took me away from watching CNN 24-7 yeah you know and it was true that was necessary that. yes it was it was like a it was a mental break <laughs> it was like a. I i really needed that for my for my own sanity i was drawing more i was writing more um in general and it was it i needed that
0: <laughs> well uh i definitely need to uh, catch up on my polish because i only know one word of polish which is uh, tell me if i'm right okay one? No, no 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 it's not I know it from I <laughs> learned it because that's the one word right? that people know Here's the thing my mm-hmm, grandfather mm-hmm. spoke Polish but I think it was a very bad memory and so he never spoke it and I was too young to understand to ask him to speak like mm. he I didn't know till he passed away that he spoke four languages cuz he lived uh, his parents were from <gasps> Poland and then he lived he was born in Belarus and then they lived in um in Ukraine so they just sort of traveled you know until they finally like my joke is hit the water and we're like guess we're going to America uh, <laughs> Uh, so I know it from Mel Brooks, <laughs> uh, Uh-oh. and I'm sure I'm going to butcher it. Zankulia? Oh, okay.
1: So that's, yeah. Thank you. Kind of. I Zankulia. didn't really say it, right? Did it's I? That's pretty
0: good. No, it's good. Zankulia. I don't know if you know, uh, to be or not to be the Mel Brooks version, but, uh, he and Ann Bancroft sing Sweet Georgia Brown in Polish. And when I was a kid, I used to try to sing along, but I'm sure I didn't really know what I was saying. And for some reason at the idea. end, they keep saying, thank you. Thank you. And so that stuck in my head
1: and that's all I can say. No that's pretty good. That's actually one of the one of the words in, in in my book for the basic, you know, Polish words, but I have um in my in my uh the kids book it's janky, which means thanks. So I figured that would that was like uh a little bit easier for for kids to say, you know. So but yeah, you did a great job pronouncing that. Thank you. It's
0: it's been a long time that's that so I've cool. been working on the one word. <laughs>
1: <laughs> but that's going to say that's like one of the things that I have loved about um being on mazel is that um they have used the fact that i speak polish and i have sworn a lot um in polish uh, (laughs) as zelda and what i also love is they have chosen not to do subtitles so you know i hear i am swearing in polish but like no one really knows exactly like what i'm saying (laughs) uh, that's
0: fantastic oh i love that
2: I will say credit to your acting there are several times when I'm like I'm pretty sure she Yes just exactly.
1: Home. Well that's also why I think <laughs> it's like in the yes, context the are, context is clear. Yes exactly. They're just like yes yeah, subtitles are not needed here. <laughs> Like, we got we got
0: it. That's something that actually. Well, while we're on the subject that that's interesting to me because, you know, we're both actors and we find the audition process obviously fascinating and like interesting. Were they looking for someone who spoke Polish or it was just someone who spoke another language?
1: No, they were they were looking. I remember it was it was Eastern European. So they were looking for um, an Eastern European, it said made Eastern European made. So I just remember like in the in the audition, like there were a couple of friends of mine. Like one was Hungarian. One was, I think, Ukrainian. So it's um, they. The answer is um, they were looking for someone to do an accent, whether or not they were looking specifically um, to have someone speak another language. I can't answer that. Um, But for the audition, they definitely were looking for someone who um, was Eastern European and could do an accent, um, at the minimum. Yeah. So, but then. After yeah. I got cast, then I mean, I, then they made the choice to make Zelda um, Polish, like officially like in the script and then have me, you know, speak Polish since that, that is what my personal background was. So I, I just think that's pretty cool. Yeah. You know,
2: I'm always curious as somebody who works with dialects um, and you shared that you grew up in the south side of Chicago, mm-hmm, yes. correct? For you as a performer, where did you have any trouble when you were growing up or becoming a professional actor with accent within your household versus when you go into the audition room? Have you had to um, kind of assimilate as you've gone, or is that something as someone who grew up in the U.S., it was less of a concern?
1: Um, Well, I mean, I was born and raised in Chicago, so if anything, I have a Chicago accent. (laughs) I was going to (laughs) say. And that's really funny that you bring that up, because pretty much most of the auditions that I started going on was for Eastern European. So I wasn't even speaking in my natural voice in these auditions. I was putting on, mm-hmm. uh, I was affecting, uh, you know, an Eastern European accent. So it's like I have played Russians. I was Ukrainian on The Sopranos. Like, here I am being Polish, yes, you know, on Maisel. So I just thought that was pretty hysterical in the end. But the, I've had auditions before where I've walked in for an Eastern European role. And I walk in as me at first, you know, as and I'm just like, hi, how are you? And I've had actually a couple of casting directors like whip their head up, going, oh, "Wait, you're supposed to be, you know, you're supposed to be Eastern European." And I'm like, "Well, yeah," <laughs> you know, it's like, um, but it's yeah, it's just it's quite interesting how everyone has their own perspective on how on how mm-hmm. you should be or not be, or like, oh, you'll never make it because you sound like this or you don't sound like that, or you know, and and nowadays I yeah. feel like that's you know, it's more. I feel more character actors are getting roles and there's mm-hmm. more of them there's more roles for character you know character actors you don't have to sound like that standard american like what is it like that anchor mm-hmm. person from ohio the yeah, transatlantic exactly like that that you know mm-hmm. exactly yeah. so you do have a lot more people or actors you know being able to just yeah. you know have a variety of different accents and stuff
2: it's funny you uh talk about People expecting you to sound a certain way when you go in. When we are get into our episode uh, and we look at Gere Watanabe, who guests in this episode, and he talks about his audition for Sixteen Candles and what he was expected to do when he went in. Oh, wow. It's very interesting. Was,
1: is he the one who was the, the yoga instructor? Yes. Oh. And he was
2: long duck dong in uh, Sixteen yeah. Candles. Right, and right, right, he's right. Japanese boy from Oregon. You know, so, of course, he was like, there were accents in my family, but... I didn't have one because I, while well, there were accents around me, I grew up in Oregon. Right, exactly.
1: <laughs> yeah. Well, it's yeah, and so when I well, for Zelda in particular, like I think of um, my mom. Like I think of like how would my mom, you know, say say this? So my mom definitely um, caught on to English a lot better than my dad, um, and she still has like a pretty thick accent. But my dad like really had like, he sounded like Dracula. Like, re- I mean, just like so thick, like none of my friends who came over, they were always just looking at me kind of like, can you, tra-? he was speaking English, but then they look at me like, can you please translate what he, st- what he just said? Uh, the,
0: the American ear though, I think also is just not used to hearing different accents. Whereas like I had in grad school, a friend from Scotland and I would translate for him and, mm-hmm. to the point of which he was like, can you please stop? <laughs> I was helping. He's like, I know you do, but it just doesn't make me feel good. <laughs> and I was like, I'm sorry. I thought, no, like, he's true. like one of my best. He's still one of my best friends. And I just like people would just, I think also they got used to looking at me being like, what is he saying? And so <laughs>
2: mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, there's something to be said about American audiences and just the average American person in general, maybe focusing a bit more on some active listening um, rather than expecting something to be immediately. Uh, what what they're used to hearing. I think maybe some active listening would help all of us.
1: Yes, that's very true, very true. <laughs> uh, speaking of
0: listening, so this is your first time ever seeing Murphy Brown, correct? Correct. Correct. Uh, I would be curious, as I'm sure Jesse would, what was your first impressions of a show that is 30 years old that you haven't ever seen? Um, well, I just wanna preface
1: this, By saying that I first asked, before I started watching, I first asked my sister, who um, is eight years older than me, if she had ever watched the show. Um, Because I'm thinking, like, since she was older, like, that's something that maybe um, she was watching and then I wasn't. And she said no, that she did not watch the show. But however, the few times that she did watch an episode on occasion, she said she laughed out loud. So I was just like, okay. So I watched the episode, and yes, I was just like, wow, this is, yeah, yeah this is from the 90s. <laughs> I was like, um, and I actually didn't, offhand, didn't really uh, remember or know um, what year exactly this was. So when I started watching, like into maybe like the first five minutes, right? yeah, I noticed the women's hair. So for me, that really like stood out. I was like, oh my God, the hair. The, the, just like the little mm-hmm. poofiness, you know, got to get the Aquanet out. Um and then so and then I pa- I actually paused it and I went on IMDb to see like what year it was and it was 1990 and I'm just like, "Okay, yes, this makes sense." And so and I was in high school. Yeah. Which also makes sense why I didn't watch it cuz I I feel like that wasn't a show for Yeah, and uh, we were really school, young, you know what I mean? Um, so it was like high we, I feel watching. like
0: we watched it probably because uh we watched either what our parents were watching. Was. Yeah, or We were left in front of the TV a little bit longer. We weren't, you know, weren't old enough to, like, be in high school and be out with friends and, like, having a lot of homework, right? And so, yeah, I feel like there's a Mm -hmm. disconnect to, you know, sort of uh, the middle of of us, right, which is you, that uh, just didn't watch it. Just like there's so many actors who talk about that they missed, because we've had other actors on the show who have guest starred, and they were like, oh, I didn't watch anything because I was working. There was no, there was yeah. no VCR. There was no like, I mean, I know there was a VCR in the in 1990, but you know what I mean? It's like it, it wasn't in right. that framework that we have now where like everyone can watch everything anytime they want. And so when you said you hadn't watched it, I was like, oh, of course.
1: No, that makes perfect
0: sense that you hadn't
1: seen it. Yeah. But I also, I mean, but I, I, I mean, well, in high school, I did actually watch well, I mean, it's a lot it's of an TV. Adult show, but, I'm sorry. Um, I just that, meant that it's an adult. I just didn't it's, watch that show. Yeah. yeah. Like it's, it's. Uh, <laughs> Yeah no 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 yeah yeah no, but I mean like I loved like in terms of like sitcoms like um because then I took I took a step back consciously after watching the show and I thought what did I watch you know because I was curious for myself to remember like well what shows did I watch if if I wasn't watching that and it was so popular right um, mm-hmm. yeah. yeah and uh, it was Golden Girls which I still love so I watched Golden Girls yeah, I watched Cheers I, I love Night Court um. You know, so, um, and, yeah, like, that's something that we watched, House, yeah. And Perfect, I, just, I love Perfect yeah. Strangers, um, y- yeah, so it was just, um, yeah, so it's like, oh, and of course, uh, 90210, <laughs> you know, like, well, and that it also, sitcom,
2: you know, but, as opposed to now, um, uh, to everyone's yeah, point in this conversation, is that that was when airing at the same time as something else was a huge deal. Because if one thing was airing, you weren't watching. You could only VCR yes, tape yes, exactly. one thing. Or if you were going to go out, like I remember rushing home to see certain things and not making plans with people because that was the one night that thing was going to air. And I didn't know if it was ever going to go into syndication so I could see it again. So yeah, if you already had a list of shows you loved, there's a very good chance you just wouldn't see the other shows that were out there.
1: I did not look up it was, on and Braun was on Mondays at o'clock, And then
0: Designing and Women
1: what was on, was
0: on at 30. I don't know. We should should we look that up? Yeah. But what was yeah. The, against the, it? Well, do the 1990 I
2: know we've looked it up before. I can't believe we both neither of us had that at the ready because I know I, know. We've I feel like about we have this done before. this. I think we've talked about it when they had special airings. The
0: 19 No, I want the 1989-1990 season. Let's see. 1989-1990 TV season. Uh oh, that's
1: because it's like if Fresh Prince was on on ABC, yeah. for yeah. example, or NBC, whatever I think was on NBC. I you know what Fresh I mean? Fresh like if that was, was on, like, I at, was watching I Fresh
0: Prince. I wasn't 30 watching Thirty After ALF Murphy Brown. Am I right about that? And then oh, I oh yeah,
2: that sounds right. Loved ALF and That's another I one I watched over. I watched Let's see, The eighty-nine,
0: <laughs> ninety United States TV season. Thank you, Wiki. We love it.
2: We love a Wiki. Yeah, moment
0: Sunday, Monday. Um, okay, Monday Night Football. Are you a football fan? <laughs> Uh, the ABC Monday Night Movie. I not have been watching the Maybe some Columbo. No. China Beach. Oh,
2: Columbo. That could Hunter. be Hunter. NBC Night at the Movies. Oh I, oh,
1: I watched China Beach. I definitely watched that.
2: Hunter, I watched <laughs> That's Hunter. That's one of the things oh I totally started introducing I my Beach husband to, Murphy Brown, because he never watched it. And as I rewatch it with him, it's very fun. One, I appreciate that he actually knows the references, thank goodness, uh, for the most part. But also just how much of my my love of things is referential and this show is so referential of the time and of like the, the timestamps that it lives within. And so I realized that I, I love a hip pocket reference, <laughs> and I think it's because of this show.
0: Yeah. It's, it's interesting for us to do this because there's, there's some points where we really have to explain something and you go, okay, well, that's probably why, like, you know, it'd be hard for this show to, uh, uh be watched now, but it really, actually, we were surprised how much it isn't because then there'll be references mm-hmm. to political figures who are still around and are still, you know, in, influential or important to what's going on in the zeitgeist today. And then we connect it to now. And it's like, wow, like it's a little scary that it's still relevant. Mm
1: hmm. Yeah, I thought it was very relevant. As yeah, soon no, as I we'll go into it. Yeah. I don't know if you guys want to first yeah. talk about, do the recap of the first. um, so right at the beginning like uh, the street scene with the construction workers and you see these like you know random women walking by and they're like oh hey baby wah, 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 hubba, 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 whatever you know and you don't even hear what they're saying like there's um what was it my my girl my girl's playing which i thought was you know of course a brilliant choice talking about my girl and these women are you know walking by and the construction construction workers mm-hmm. you know are the stereotypical right the stereotypical story and i was thinking like Oh geez, This is just clearly Way before me too You know And I'm just sitting there Going like uh. And then Murphy Brown shows up And she just goes off On the construction workers you But know. you know Yeah, so yeah know. Know what you know she's saying, But you can see like She's just like <laughs> What are you doing uh, You know like Like, telling him off and, like, actually chases him down the street, which I thought was, like, hysterical. And I was just like...
2: Well, and, Lauren, you have a special tidbit about who one of those women was. Yes, so you would
0: know this. But, so the first woman is this beautiful blonde woman in a workout outfit. And, you know, they won't let her pass. And she just really hates it, as we all do. And then the second woman, who is in a beautiful black business suit and as a briefcase, that's Diane English, who created Murphy Brown in her first cameo on the series... With those great legs. Oh, yeah. Well, here's the thing. Uh, So Diane in, I guess, 91, 92, like right before the Dan Quayle thing, she did a a Hanes uh, print ad. Obviously, most people wouldn't know that this was Diane. That's very cool. As she's going out of frame, as she's leaving the frame, I should say, Candace, as Murphy, kind of comes in. And I thought that was such a great sort of little sort of juxtaposition that they did, to sort of have them replace Mm -hmm. each other at the same time. Um, But I also think this scene is kind of wish fulfillment, don't you think? Like, we all want to run after them.
2: Oh, yeah.
1: Oh, yeah. Or just, yeah, just like, yeah, like that definitely never happened. I mean, maybe, you know, the younger women now, it's obviously it's the, you know, post Me Too movement and post a lot of movements. And um, the Gen Zs, I feel like definitely have a lot more, uh, I feel, self-awareness and more confidence same um, yeah definitely than i had when i you know when i was that age for sure and uh but yeah that's a really great point i'm really glad you you said that wish fulfillment being in, in those kind of situations and you just want to like stab someone in the head you know or just tell them I off i see a lot or, of gen z
2: uh you know like and even you younger do millennial that. don't do on that <laughs> TikTok giving advice for like Think, ways to clap back in those scenarios. Mm-hmm. I'm like as not of your time, I don't have that readiness or that uh that conditioning to feel like I am safe enough to. And I think something about this particular opening and the wish fulfillment element is that the nostalgia of that backlot stage. Oh yeah. The the backlot street, like it's not dangerous. It does not actually feel like we're in the city where that kind of thing would happen. Like if I think about walking down under some scaffolding on, you know, 8th Avenue and that happens, there's no way I'm going to feel safe enough to chase some dude down the street or talk back to them. But in this lovely kind of sitcom backlot street, I'm like right, yes, chase yeah. him, get him Murph, you can do it like it feels so much, it feels like the ideal.
1: That's a really good point. Yeah, yeah it, exactly. It's, it wasn't like one dude. It wasn't one dude and, and one woman. It was, yeah, like exactly. It was more like a seemed like a party scene in some, in some sense, you know. But I just – and when I was in my 20s, like uh, I'll never forget this because I just thought it was like so random and so hysterical. I'm walking down the street and um, I was by myself on the street and it was just one guy sitting on a stoop. Again, like and the rest of the street is empty. But I was wearing this yellow dress. I'm walking by and I'm laughing because it's pretty funny. I'm walking by and I hear him say, "Mm -mm, boy, would I love to peel that banana. And I was like, I turn around. I'm like, what? Like what? You know, like – it's just so weird like I had to like you just have these like random things that guys say but again I didn't say anything I just kept walking because it's just like what do you first of all what do you even say to that because again it's yeah. like I, yeah. I've never been at the ready in those kind of situations and then it's like two hours later yep it yeah. comes Plus to you like woman, oh, you know particularly in New, New York
0: City 20, or, or any big city or, you it's know, like you don't know what that person's gonna do Mm-hmm. When you're in that moment, I think there's that sort of that fear of exactly. like, well, I'm alone. I'm a woman. Like, I don't know how this person's gonna react to me. You know, I just have to ignore mm-hmm. it and keep going.
1: Yeah, well, you just kind of walk a little yeah. bit faster. Even and then, the like, random jerk who tells you to sure smile, you don't know if you, you talk person. back to that, yeah. what could
2: happen. I, I saw someone break this. I hate it so. And uh, the oh, number so of you know cis male friends who I've told talked to about this, who genuinely thought that was an exaggeration. Yeah, right. Until I'm like, no, no, no. Every, every one of us has had that. Like, we just, it is, you have to realize it's not an exaggeration. Every day there's a new one. And someone was breaking it down as a matter, because somebody was trying to pull the, like, not all men are jerks like that. And a, a young woman made the point of, we treat, we're taught in, you know, for example, gun safety or weapon safety, always assume that the weapon is loaded. Like, always handle it as if it is until you know otherwise kind of thing. And she was like, that's how we have to treat all men. No matter if you think you're joking and you're saying something like that to us, we have to assume you're loaded. We have to operate from the perspective of we have to assume that possibly the worst could happen. And thus, we're not making any room for you when you think you're giving a, a harmless joke because we don't know.
0: So this episode is written by friends of the podcast, Gary Donzig and Steve Peterman. And Steve was nice enough to send us some thoughts, which we will pepper throughout the episode. Obviously, and we'll talk about this more probably on our Patreon, the title, The Bitch is Back, is based off the song of Elton John, The Bitch is Back, which Elton John considers his theme song. It's aired May 7th, 1990. So I'm just going to really quickly talk about a short little history of My Girl, which is considered one of the quintessential Motown songs, as well as sort of the quintessential soul recording of the 1960s. It was written by Miracle's bandmates Smokey Robinson and Ronnie White. It is known for the beautiful guitar opening, which was by Motown session player Robert White. Although the Funk Brothers are, I check this out, are involved in the song, which makes sense. But what's interesting is that I think a lot of people think that Smokey Robinson wrote it for himself, and then the temptation just recorded it, but he wrote it specifically for David Ruffin's voice, who had just taken over as one of the lead vocalists at The Temptations. And before that, The Thames had sort of had like maybe one, you know, top 10 hit or number one hit, I should say. And then once David Ruffin came on, who became sort of The Temps' signature sound, they had 23 top number one hits. So he joined The Jeez. Temptations yeah, in January of 1964. And this song was released in December of 1964. And it's considered by Billboard magazine as the one of the 10th biggest hits of 1965. David Ruffin had been living with Barry Gordy, who started Motown. Father, his father uh, did construction. And so he was, uh, he was a contractor. And he was doing construction for him. And so he lived with him. And then later on, before David Ruffin ended up working for Motown and being through The Temptations, he literally helped build the building, <laughs> uh, figuratively and literally. Because he was working for Barry Gordy's father, uh, he was one of the people who helped build Hittsville oh, USA, wow. which is still obviously in Detroit. Mm-hmm. But it goes back and forth whether he wrote the song about his wife, Claudette. Smokey Robinson's wife, Claudette, was also in The Miracles. And it was meant to be sort of a reaction to My Guy by Mary Wells.
1: Ah, I yes. don't remember
0: the first time I heard this song because I've always known this song. Mm-hmm. Do you remember the first time you heard my girl, Matilda?
1: Oh, geez, no. I mean, I grew up, you know, listening to the old, like my mom would have the oldie stations so on. So what's interesting about you know, this episode like, so, is, you know, uh, Moton was always totally playing in the you house. You're not going to be
0: able to experience the joy of Charles Kimbrough as Jim uh, because he's not in this episode because apparently he got sick that week and they had to write him out. And yet, did they give Jim such a lovely moment
2: anyway? Yes, because we
0: love Jim. Yeah, so Steve told us that they had to quickly write him out because he was sick and that Diane came up with this whole idea that he was out sailing with Walter Cronkite. Uh, uh, (laughs) Poor Jim. And then, of course, later on, it was a way to bring Phil into the scene. Uh, by having him read the letter, which, you know, obviously we'll get to. And so we start the episode after the opening where uh, Frank is. So I found this really funny is that it feels like Frank is walking around the bullpen with all this stuff in his arms like he's in an Aaron
2: Sorkin television series. It felt very Sorkin.
0: (laughs) It's just very much like a walk and talk. Pretty much the the gist of this is that Miles is following Frank because he didn't read the memo. And Frank says that he should cut it up into little pieces and distribute it throughout the office because he's an investigative reporter and then he can actually, you know, do his job and look for it, which is obviously him just mocking Miles. We find out later that, of course, the joke is, is that no one has actually read this memo. He asks Fran, one of the extras, to look for it.
1: I love the fact that <laughs> so like, she grabbed the memo from the garbage. Like, it was just like that great comic moment. Like, you tell him what it's about. <laughs> it and also just like, shows how no one really starts. he's like, him. oh, come on. Quirky tries.
0: <laughs> our our sweet little do getter You know, we know that Miles is neurotic. We know that, you know, he is someone who probably has a lot of stress. But he really is being professional Miles in this. And then he's also just showing, like, literally, I wrote he's having a conniption fit. Uh, just yeah. so how how sort of, you know, stressed he is to set up the rest of the episode. That's something I actually really do like about this episode. I don't think it has as many jokes per kappa as a lot of other ones, but like the way that it's structurally set up, I think it really sort of sets up, you know, everything that happens so that it makes sense and it doesn't just feel like it's happening just because that's what the plot is, which I think can happen in a lot mm-hmm. of sitcoms, that Jim is out on a boat with Walter Cronkite and that the reason that Frank has never been out is because Walter Cronkite doesn't like Frank. Which tracks frank becomes like all of our worst nightmares you know when we're all like oh i don't know if that person likes me and he has all those thoughts but they're all real
2: his neuroses are consistently validated in this show (laughs) and it's just in it feels like the opposite of wish fulfillment to watch it's like oh gosh it's it's true everyone dislikes me i am uncomfortable and i was
1: correct
0: i meant to ask matilda have you seen any of these other actors in any other shows or are they all new to you
1: The main people know what I did. I actually jotted down that uh, you're talking about Frank. I actually um, thought that he was like, he felt like the comedic, the very comedy wow. version. Very, good, of, uh, yes. Doug Stamper from House yeah. of Cards. Yes. Michael Kelly, who, you know, obviously it was very dramatic. And I love Michael Kelly. He's amazing. But yeah, but watching Murphy Brown for the first time, and I was just like, that's really bizarre. Like, he kind of has the same I totally vibe, vibe about so him interesting. In, in terms of yeah, the character, of but the, the comedy version. Kind of
0: like a lot of the, the maritime More people, like uh, Ted Knight and uh, Mr. Grant. I think that's interesting. Yeah. Everyone in the office apparently took some sort of stress oh, test I love, and I love ten, people ten did night. not do very well. As in perfect timing, Murphy comes out of her office uh, with a pregnant secretary. I think we can guess is in labor. And Murphy would like her to type up her notes because first
2: babies are really late. <laughs> Bless.
1: Yeah, I thought that was absolutely hysterical. Like, you, you still have time? Yeah. I mean, just in general, it yes. seems like everyone's scared of Murphy Brown. Like, he, you know, she's like this, you know, hardcore boss. And it was great um, to see. And I just thought it was also interesting. I think it was like the 90s take on, um, like, somehow she had to come off as, mm-hmm. like, being so hardcore and being so strong and i think that's just uh, unfortunately a, a commentary on like if you know a woman is to be um heard or listened to um as a boss like you it's like she has to unfortunately come off like be harder or stronger than than a male boss would be well there the there is that running joke like constantly where it's like they do make fun of her for being so headstrong so I, don't, I mean, I actually honestly mm-hmm. don't know like how I feel about that. I mean, again, it was like the 90s, but I think it was a the show did, you know, was a history maker and it did set like the precedence of like, you know, you know, women should be treated equally and, and, and you know, can be a boss and everything. But I think, I mean, obviously we're not at the end of the episode yet, but I just, uh, I thought that was like the the one or the first moment in the entire episode where you see uh, Murphy Brown she's treating a colleague equally and vice versa when she's on that she's having that conversation at the end of the episode and that struck me because of the whole episode you know she's just you know not easily not <laughs> yeah, easy to yeah. get along with you know and everyone was like making jokes about that you know but at the end but at the end she it, it's finally like it's like on equal footing like her and her colleague are equal and they're having like a real conversation um, there's res- mm-hmm. I felt like there was respect there on both ends, um, so yeah. I just I guess in general I just thought that was quite interesting. But I guess that must be like the running joke throughout the, the whole series. Yeah, it was she originally was, like, sold as she's,
2: the concept of her being Mike Wallace um, in a dress, and that uh, the the whole commentary about the kind of that pit that pitfall of third wave feminism of that you have to be ma- masculine and with masculine. stereotypical masculine traits to succeed as a woman and then you have one of my favorite things that I talk about a lot on the show is the the dichotomy of her and Corky and how Corky is a woman who is not getting rid of stereotypical feminine traits but is working at the same type of job not necessarily at Murphy's level because Murphy is this like up an echelon character but what what happens about the two of them in opposition of a hyper feminine versus a woman who seems to have taken on a lot of what are considered masculine traits but then also to watch the uh one of our favorite relationships and dynamics in this is murphy versus miles and having this like young man as her boss and the way like watching this woman who's fought so hard to get to this position of power and respect in a man's game then have her boss be this 20-something little mensch (laughs) who's just running around. And their relationship is so interesting and so so dynamic. And they have so many great moments throughout the series as Murphy accepts him um, or challenges him or the beautiful moments when he actually challenges Murphy, which is something I love in this episode when he does put his foot down.
0: Yeah, it it sort of feels like, you know, and obviously you don't have that uh, experience that we have, is that a lot of the, the two seasons have kind of been leading up to this, that there's consequences to acting the way that Murphy acts, which is that she hurt her back and that she needs to take a break, which I think a lot of women, whether they act like Murphy or not, were sort of taught that like, we need to have all of these balls in the air. But I love what you brought up about the fact that, you know, seeing it in a perspective of, of you're not sure what you think of her, because I think you're right. But because we had Murphy in a way that could go, oh, women can behave badly, mm-hmm. that we can have, you know, other heroines today, like even Midge Maisel or, you know, any of the really great female characters that we have that have edges, but also vulnerability. And the thing is, it is a sitcom, right? So, like, her vulnerability tends to come, like, at the end of the episodes. Yeah, yeah you know, and this <laughs> right. isn't one that necessarily has, you know, the, as much of it. The learning moment. Exactly. Yeah, where it's yeah, like, oh, the learning, you know, the learning moment. she's sort of yeah, kind right. of one of the rungs of female characters that we needed to have to get to where we are now.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah,
1: she just seemed very. Yeah, she just seemed very harsh, you know. But but again, like but again, it was a sitcom. So and they yeah, actually, and they, they didn't don't make let her. They don't let it pass. Oh no, like it's not like you know. Yeah. Throughout,
0: I don't want to say that she you know she learns right. what she does because we have her learning moment. But a lot of times she doesn't succeed because of the way that she is um, bulldozing through life, even though that's how she kind of got where she was in a man's world, right? Yeah.
1: And you kind of, that's like i that you kind of had to do that. Yeah, you see her, that that's, that's what she had, had to do. And then the the 90s, you also have
0: like- someone like Corky and she ends up having pretty much the same life as Murphy, you know, being just as successful and being able to have it on her own terms.
2: Oh, I also just appreciate, because sometimes I, and this show is good about not doing this too often, but growing up as someone who saw female role models as people who had to be like, go up against the dudes and getting sick of watching kind of the men put them in their place, I really enjoy episodes like this when it's like the female nurses are done with her jumping ahead and the female nurses are like no you're done yes you're me we don't like you I love watching other people of her gender kind of call her on that and be like you're impossible and it's not because you're like some gender betrayer
1: <laughs> right and that and that's a perfect that's a great point because then it does it isn't about male versus female it's about, being either a nice or not nice yeah. human being yeah. at the end of the day, yeah. you know um, So I but it's what's interesting so I had, I had lunch um, uh, with a friend of mine um, a couple of weeks ago and she randomly uh, I, can't, well, we, I can't remember what we were talking about but um, she she made a comment which I was like, huh, you are so right. She goes, mm-hmm. the phrase working woman. You never hear. You never. You never would say, "Oh, he's a working man." You never hear that. So why does it have to be? Oh, she's a working mom.
0: She's a working. Uh, Murphy woman. realizes that everyone's staring like, at her. And people still she's say that ridiculous, as we've discussed. And she goes, "What?" Miles says that tomorrow at nine a.m. they are going to do a stress reduction class, and everyone, even Murphy, has to be there. And of course, the dreaded Murphy needs to see Miles in her office. And when in the office, Miles refuses to. Uh, Close the door and must see her hands at all times. <laughs> gives you an idea, Matilda. You never know what she might do. We hear stories. I you know, love not know, love but that. Uh, some of it's involved wild
2: animals. <laughs> she'll told. throw a soft object. <laughs> like she'll do it.
1: So is that why you oh, said no. that? That's, oh no! because I took it as a sexual reference, kind of like. That's so interesting. I, it was interesting! I could totally see it that I way. I thought it was yeah, like a Harvey a Weinstein. Perspective. No, it's because it's uh, like, she's been known to hurt people.
0: Yeah. <laughs> when she's not happy.
1: Yeah. This is the first episode I watched. I thought I thought it was just like, oh, that's really cool. That here's this uh, d- dude who is like saying to. Well, it's interesting his, you say um, that. He's boss. her boss like I need to see your yeah. hands the whole time we're in right of course you wouldn't of course you wouldn't no of course you well, see, wouldn't I didn't, because the dynamic I know, I didn't know is that not that at all this no it makes
0: total sense that's mm-hmm. why it's interesting to like get that perspective right from someone who doesn't know the <laughs> show uh so we eventually learn that Murphy was the second worst score and that uh she scored a 284 where a 250 is a triple bypass and she asks who the worst was and by Miles's face we know that it was him
2: no surprise there he's Murphy's no surprise boss. at all
0: <laughs> yes, he is. And so he kind of, you know, sulks out of the office in a child voice just goes, no, just be there. So Murf- Murphy is going to have a coronary if she doesn't go to this, uh, this stress relief class.
2: And I part of me kind of feel feels that right now. <laughs> mm-hmm. And then we uh, find ourselves on class day. And I want to say the opening shot of everyone in their various athletic garb gave me two things. One, it gave me like warming up for a dance class at Broadway Dance or Steps. Like everyone, for some reason, everyone was just like warming up <laughs> for whatever they thought they were going to do. But also, I was laughing so hard at the outfits because I yeah. realized that fashion <laughs> has circled back. And that is now yes. a lot of the current athleisure fashion is we're back to this. And so I was, I was like, wow, this some of these outfits don't look nearly as out of time as I'm used to the show looking because I see so many people in these outfits now. I saw someone yesterday. Yeah. Oh, the tracksuit. Yeah, the tracksuits are of the track like suits. you can get, like... Corky's in a blue tracksuit. I, I love it's that very, like, 80s, 90s kind of pastel fluorescence. So it's the blue with the green stripes and the gray down the sides. Very cute. Um, again, they're warming up. And Miles walks in in the exact same tracksuit as Corky. And I will say, having not remembered this episode very well, I genuinely thought it was... I thought the joke was going to be that Miles had sent outfits to everyone and she was the only one who wore the outfit. And so I loved the payoff that yet again, Miles ended up in like a woman's outfit (laughs) that he thought looked cool. (laughs) But uh, he, you know, good morning, everyone. He's delighted to see them and face to face with Corky and poor Miles's face. (laughs) Miles is always trying to be taken seriously. Poor Miles. And Frank just loves his outfit and sweet Corky, just like, oh, I hate it when this happens. How much did you pay for yours? Poor, poor
1: month Oh.
2: <laughs> yes.
1: And everyone's hair looks oh. absolutely fabulous. Miles's hair is like all nicely feathered oh, well, in a pseudo mullet. Um, it's so good. Everyone's got their hair I really done was trying to figure spray. out when everyone found
2: the time to get ready for this, because Murphy does appear in a little bit in her full office garb. And so I just wanted to know who brought their their full workout gear to work that day did their hair and makeup for this work it was very interesting to me that it was actually it was 9 a.m correct yeah I mean
0: if it's yeah. if it's a stress thing you know maybe maybe it was in the memo that everyone that, fished out of the garbage no you know mm-hmm. I mean I was always the one that you know read everything and did everything I remember the first day of my first acting class in college was like dress comfortably and mm-hmm. so like I wore you know sweatpants and like a, a big giant t-shirt. Nope, everyone was dressed really nice. And I, I look like a schlub. <laughs> yeah. I was like, but I thought no one dressed comfortably, just me.
2: Yeah, I've was very. I was, I've always been a very good teacher's pet who follows all the rules and then realize that everyone else relaxes <laughs> them. <laughs> so Miles does not bite and tries to just ignore the fact that he looks like quirky today. Uh, he wonders where Murphy is. Frank says, oh, she's dead. Didn't anybody tell you? Miles points out that a simple I don't know would do, Frank. And he introduces miss i love this mr guru prem <laughs> not guru prem mr guru prem and uh i'm just gonna do a slight aside because this is Getty watanabe also known as gary watanabe who goes by getty he most people i think is gonna know as long duck dong from 16 candles uh, which he had done right before this, that had come out right before this episode so he's kind of riding the high of that particular role bless his sweetheart in this role he's trying so hard What's interesting and something I alluded to earlier was that uh, Gede was a Japanese family in Oregon. He grew up an American boy, no accent, just happens to be Japanese. And I found this interview on Vulture where he was talking, it was for the 30th anniversary of Sixteen Candles. And uh, he was talking about the audition. And he was living in New York Uh, He had been in the original cast of Pacific Overtures and worked with public theater and Joe Papp, and his agent sent him the script. It said the character was a foreign exchange student from Asia, and that was about it. So to set himself apart, he went to one of his friends who had a very thick Korean accent and learned his friend's thick Korean accent and went in for the audition with that accent. And... Right, And I was like, well done, dude. And he said he got there. The casting director, Jackie Birch, believed it so much that she started talking to him like he was from another country. And he had to break down and admit that he was lying. Um, And he was so afraid that they were going to then just ignore him and fire him on the spot after they found out. And they were like, oh, no, that's great. Just they said, "Uh, just don't tell John. And so they go to set. He's doing this in this accent. John does not know. That he's directing someone who has a perfectly good american accent and he finally pulled him aside to be like hey dude i have to tell you something and they all the entire crew apparently was shocked that he didn't have this accent and i just he understood the assignment
1: <laughs> he showed up and did it
0: mm-hmm.
1: i think that's fantastic i love that story I was always I was always too afraid. Like going back to what we we're talking about earlier, I was just always too afraid to just walk in, mm-hmm. um, like I guess in method, kind of like with the accent already, um, for a number of reasons. But I think that's a, that. I love that story. I think that's a fantastic story. Yeah. Well, um, that he was that he was able to do that. I've actually had um, after after season um, after season one of Maisel, because um, a, a lot of times. You know, most of the crew would only oh, hear yeah. me or or, or see, hear and see me as Zelda. Um, because then, like, the actors would then, like, when they were, like, you know, changing out the, you know, lights or the cameras or turnaround and stuff, like, we would be in our, the actors would be in our own, like, little green room, you know. Um, and then on set, it, you know, I would just be in accent. And I had a handful of crew members come up to me, like... At the rap party, like shocks, so I was like, Oh hey, what's up? You know? And they're just like, Oh my God. They're like, Oh my god, <laughs> you have an American accent? Yeah. You know, I'm, I'm just an like, actor, I've good at my job. <laughs> like, where you been? Mm-hmm. But I was like but, but, but I mean, but I love that. Yeah. I mean yes, that's what I thought. I'm just like, oh well let me pat myself on the back. <laughs> you know, if they actually Yeah like legit thought that I was like, Well, that's also boat, interesting. You know for what I mean? Like someone like, that's like awesome. Wazanabe,
2: who, <laughs> you know, he's been asked obviously for 30 years now about the uh, the backlash to that character as far as Asian representation. And he talks a lot about the fact that, you know, he went in feeling very supported and not like he was being made a punchline, uh, that the point of the movie was about stereotypes. And so he understood that he was going in to create one and and do that. But also the fact that one of the ways for him to stand out as an Asian actor was to sound more Asian as far as casting was concerned at the time because there were so few roles and so he he talks in other interviews about like the pressure being an Asian performer right. a young Asian performer that uh how do you ride that line between being like well I'm an American and I live here and I don't actually sound we don't all sound like that and trying to book the few roles that were available for him at the time and them expecting a certain thing
1: right and I'll- Mm-hmm. Right. And a, and a lot of times though, it's like, that's how do, you do stand out though. I mean, because it's like, you have like a million people going out for like the same roles. Um, and I think there are definitely a handful of actors out there who um, had that talent. They, they had the talent of being able to speak another language or to be able to do an accent. Um, but still they were, um, you know, American, but uh, a, a lot of them, a handful of them, started out mm-hmm. in these type of like foreign roles um to get their foot in the door um mm-hmm. i just i watched uh, i was watching raiders of the lost ark last night yeah yep. and alfred molina at the beginning of the movie yep. is there with you know his you know with an accent and it's just like wow okay well that's one of well, it's one of his first roles if not his first role i you know i couldn't say yep. I, I didn't look it up but i'm just like okay great that's how he started yeah, and it's, you know, and then, and then and he it's
0: interesting there, that, oh, go thing. ahead. No, I believe that is his first movie role, actually, because he had been doing theater in England, and um, I've heard him talk about that, and just how, like, that's what got him the role, because, you know, particularly in England, you know, he was uh, one of the few people who were out there auditioning who unfortunately looked like him. Mm-hmm. You know, there's idea of, you know, what is English, and I think that that's something that a lot of the... A lot of actors i know even today have you know been dealing with but um but sorry jesse you were saying oh i
2: was just gonna say and then we have you know the door was opened for a young actor like mr watanabe and he goes on to you know then have a long-running character on er and to do all these other you know like eventually he was able to be more than that particular role uh but it makes sense that for a lot of people sometimes you have to figure out you're in and sometimes you're the thing that got you in the door can also hinder you uh there's a great actor who's a stage and screen actor in uh I'm obsessed with Our Flag Means Death uh, on HBO, which I know Lauren has seen me posting constantly about on social media. But one of the actors is uh, someone who has had cleft palate surgery and uh, had speech therapy because of that. And I was reading an interview with him about his career and them asking about that particular impediment being in the way of his performance. And he's like, yeah, there. it's definitely gotten in the way of me getting certain roles because I sound and look a little different than other people. But it's also been the thing that got me roles. So
1: at the end of the day, it does seem to kind of even out. Yeah, especially now. I do. I do think, like I said, there's there's a lot, a lot more um, opportunity for a lot of um, people with different um, backgrounds in general backgrounds, um, how they look, how they sound, um, mm-hmm. for you know different roles on on TV shows yeah, and films, the, and and I which I think saw is the story that you know absolutely fantastic.
0: Watching this episode, that and I hope I say his name correctly, but ki Kwan, mm-hmm. who played Short Round in, Indi- speaking of Indiana Jones, mm-hmm. uh, the little kid from I, almost, yeah. I almost
2: brought him up because I just saw the movie oh, and yeah. i was obsessed with the movie. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and well, I yeah, assumed it was his like, choice because, you know, kid act like actor,
0: right? You know, you just age out and you realize it's not really what you want to do because it's just was something that, you know, your parents brought you to and then you did for fun, right? And he was on Jimmy Kimmel and he said, no, he he couldn't get roles so he, he went behind the scenes, and then he saw Crazy Rich Asians, mm-hmm. and he started crying. He saw it three times, and he realized he wasn't just crying because of the representation. He was crying because he was jealous of them. Mm-hmm. That, and so he he saw that as sort of an opening to go back, and I was so happy for him. And I thought, it's, that's a wonderful story, but it's also a sad story that he felt that he had to go away because there weren't roles, but now there are roles. And so it was. I, I do hope that things are changing, and it feels like it is.
2: Well, and also for his particular story, I love that interview. It made me cry. I watched it three times. But it uh, was fascinating because he went behind the scenes and he also became a really accomplished martial artist in that time. Yeah. And that all leads to him being the absolute perfect person for this movie, Everything Everywhere All at Once. Like, he was made for this role. And it was, I think I heard his first audition back into I'm going to try this again. And he got this. And it is, uh, he, it's unbelievable. And it's mm-hmm. that thing of things happened a certain way but also he's perfect for this role because you get to see everything he's done in the meantime and the person he's become in the meantime blend into this it's just it's his story is really beautiful so is that movie
1: anywho i have i've not seen that movie yet but that's Mm -hmm. another amazing connection has stephanie i'm I'm very happy for her too is is also in that speaking of gentle
2: soul standing there in his uh, what we would assume a guru outfit would look like it's definitely very of a like we have created a stereotype and we're going all into the stereotype of the guru uh he is sure everyone will find the next few minutes enlightening and enjoyable and all he asks is that they stay open because good thoughts cannot blossom in the arid soil of a closed mind and as we all knew was about to happen in comes murphy brown i do love the white popped collar oh yeah it's
0: very sort of diane keaton i love her outfit in a way like it's Yes, we're kind of obsessed with her yeah. clothes. Well, clothes in general.
2: Um, and of course she kind of bursts in like a hurricane from the back of the group all the way front and center. Uh, I wrote, as we knew she as we all knew she would, in her outfit as if she's she's just gonna do this, go back to the office. She's not here to do this thing. And she says, All right, I'm ready, let's do this, let's reduce our stress and get the hell out of
1: here. And then she looks to the left of her. Yeah, I, I wrote. I wrote down. I wrote I feel down like we that all I can love relate. Her, uh, Murphy Brown I got, is a mood. I, I don't have time for as this. The internet would
2: say. Well, I just love that she looks over Clocks, Miles, and Corky's outfit and says, "Oh, geez, I didn't. No one told me we were going to have teams." <laughs> it's so savage. <laughs> well, and I love that they're <laughs> yes. asking why she's dressed like that, and she says, and <laughs> every the way she entered, the way she spoke, everything is summed up in the line that she's just going to stand and watch and do it at home tonight. She promises she will. And eye rolls her way back to yeah. the guru.
0: <laughs> I appreciate how when she does the, the 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 movements, like she's kind of just doing it sort of half ass. Oh no, don't! Like, yeah, yeah, we're yeah, gonna yeah. get to that. Yeah. This
2: arm work. Okay. So at that moment, the the guru asks for attention. He turns on an atmospheric soundscape. It's really sending me back to uh, a lot of the like Enya era soundscape CD collections you could get to ju- in any spa or hair salon and he's going to teach them some exercises that can lower their blood pressure and raise their energy levels and i'm not gonna lie i as myself was like "Ooh, what are they uh, it sounds nice and he says the first one is the elephant waves his trunk and calls to the herd which turns into a a slight lunge and a swooping arm motion and lots of connected breathing and everyone's trying no one is trying more than miles in this moment miles is really trying to commit to relaxation, which, of course, is com- completely undo him. And Frank starts calling, oh, heard, heard. <laughs> it was so good. Also, he's I- very old. He's very little
1: brother. I actually did this. laugh yes, a lot for like- that moment. I love the, the the physical comedy. That's why that's what I was thinking. Like that, um, and just that I and Gramsci is really great at it. it and, and
0: it's not necessarily a show that I think of as like a physical comedy show. So when they do it, it's so specific. Um, but what he's doing is, I mean, eventually we'll get to the the scene in yeah. the hospital, particularly too. But yeah, it's it's hilarious and something I don't know if Jesse if um, you were gonna talk about this, but um, the writers were telling us, uh, Steve Peterman and uh, Gary Donzig, but Steve Peterman sent us the messages I mentioned, was that at the time, Steve was doing a lot of yoga in 1990 and Gary was doing um, Tai Chi, and so they pitched this idea because obviously that was something that was in their life. And I think you can tell that this this is funny, but it does come from a place of truth, yeah. which I think is I think important. that's
2: why I kept being like, I don't know, I could see that working. Like I was actually as a person watching me like, yeah. I could see that breath work actually calming me. I also just want to call out the awesome featured extras that are on either side of Frank when he does the O oh, herd herd, because they they are genuinely laughing at him doing it, but it feels very much like they are co-workers enjoying their coworker, especially the woman in the orange next to him that just is clearly just amused to no end by Frank's antics. <laughs> and I just love any time I get to see one of them having a good time. Uh Murphy turns to Miles and all I, the only way I can describe it is she's flapping only from her elbow in the general directions of where the other arms are going, but it's like she's kind of warm or maybe there's a bug in the way, but she's doing it. She's kind of swaying <laughs> a little bit with it, but she's, she's doing Murphy's version. And so while she's, yeah, it's so good. It's just full of her disdain at everything she has to yeah, do Yeah, I thought right that now. was pretty funny. And she, while she's flapping from the elbow, she's asking if he's read the stuff she left on his desk last night because Pine River's been buying up land all over the facility and she thinks they're hiding something. Miles is trying to concentrate and the guru just appears behind her saying, that's it. Feel the power of your trunk.
1: I actually did when I was watching that. I was I was thinking, I wondered, and Lauren, you just said what, um, what the writer said. Uh, I was wondering if that was the time period that 19 you know 19 early 90s um when this type of class became popular um and, and i did not look it up but i was but that did cross my mind i'm just like oh, i wonder if this was mm-hmm. like the you know the trend of let's go do yoga yep. you know versus you know in the 80s was and the, steve said he know, was doing aerobics, it for book so it must have been very new. With, you know with the That's leg warmers point.
0: i hadn't thought about that
2: yeah, it's I I am curious about the timing of all that now, actually, because specifically because of the way that the the exercises are described, it does seem like it's referencing a more well known, like knowing about the different forms of Tai Chi in particular, and the way that that's been brought into so many comedy spaces. It feels like it's a reference to something that the general public would be laughing at. Mm hmm.
1: Right, like they were kind of making fun mm-hmm. of that class. Like everyone, everyone must have been taking that class after work yeah. or something. Not, not necessarily like a stress test class for the work, you know what I mean? But like, you know, going going to that yoga class or that tai chi class, mm-hmm. and and I kind of I kind of got that feeling like the show was making fun of yeah those type of classes and i'm no, thinking yeah I so apparently it's like um, it was a new trend uh
0: the small little thing says that sort of uh it says hippie and new age movement popularizes yoga that's the title here for the history of yoga that by the 1980s and 90s the introduction of the vhs tapes and dvds um and the rise of the fitness industry made yoga part of people's everyday routine uh, and that's uh, something i hadn't thought of either that makes a lot of sense it was more accept- accessible to everybody because you could just pop in a vhs tape and mm-hmm. you know do your workout this is i'll put you know i'll put this link in this in the in our show notes but it's the long history of the of yoga in the united oh, states that's that is an, <laughs> an
2: appropriated history uh so yes I'm sure after the the guru makes his way back through the rest of the class murphy asks where they got this guy did they not notice that smile they think he's all peace and love then the one day the police find his mother in a hefty bag in the freezer and then the guru announces we're moving on to a new pose it's the penguin grooms his feathers which what i love is (laughs) it's breath shoulders and then a really particular rhythmic plie with our little feet turned out and i love the moment when you see the entire group have to do it at once it's such lovely like physical comedy in that moment (laughs) yeah
1: yeah exactly and it's murphy like, yeah, says this, this that is that ridiculous whole, whole she just needs to really talk to windy. miles for a minute great. if yeah. she flies
2: to pine river this afternoon maybe she can get close enough to get some soil samples and then at that moment they're going to gently go into the monkey goes to sleep and dreams of the stars which sounds lovely yeah his everyone voice is does very, a very exaggerating it's so nice it's very nice i was I, I would enjoy his class i think and everyone goes into a side crouch where they hold their heads and she says, "Yeah, right." She sure she can see herself doing this every day, Miles. She wants to go to Pine River. She needs the authorization. She smacks him in the back. She needs him to make a decision. He can't hear her because the blood's rushing to his head. So she bends forward to repeat it in his face, and we immediately know there's a problem. And I <laughs> wrote, as everyone reaches for, reaches as a monkey for a coconut, Murphy is stuck. Uh, and we find out, of course, she's having a muscle spasm. And she is stuck in that beautiful. This feels like a very eighty 80s, 90s joke about the person who bends forward and gets stuck with because of a back thing.
0: Yeah, it, it's it was a little bit of a, a of a sitcom trope, I think. Yeah, but, uh, but I, I it. just
2: it sends me to a very specific time. I feel, I feel like I've seen this particular moment happen in various ways. I feel like it mostly happens with older men, though. So I appreciate seeing a like a healthy woman get stuck in this position <laughs> because of a back uh, spasm. I don't know if we can call Murphy healthy. <laughs>
0: she doesn't exercise well, she used to smoke like a chimney she used to be an alcoholic and yes. um, she also eats a lot of donuts
2: but she is very physically clearly not a you know an 80 year old man who <laughs> fair has a point. walker and, okay. fair know. point so the guru tells her to try and relax breathe air into those muscles uh, by the way you have signed a release form haven't you join us for part two Good morning, everyone. I'm sure you'll find the next few minutes enlightening and enjoyable. All I ask is that you remain open. Good thoughts cannot blossom in the arid soil of a closed mind.
1: All right, I'm ready, let's do this. Let's reduce our stress and get the hell out of here. (laughs) Gee, nobody told me we were having teams. (laughs) Why aren't you dressed? I'm just gonna stand and watch and
0: then do it at home tonight. I really will, I promise.